right, I think I'll go ahead and start sharing my screen and we can get started before um, we get going. My name is Sarah Walls and I work for the city of Iowa City um, in transportation planning. Also work for the MPO of Johnson County, um, also doing transportation planning. And some of my colleagues are here um, today, Emily Bothell, uh, Frank Wasif, and Hannah Neal, um, who are all, also do the same. Um, so we'll be here to explain things and answer questions. Um, we also have some of our engineering staff will be available to answer questions. And I'm just gonna go ahead and start sharing my screen. Can you all see that? Is that up? Yes. Okay. So what we're gonna do is just um, provide some update on Iowa City's bicycle master plan. Um, most of you probably know that um, it was adopt we adopted the plan in the fall of 2017. Um, things really didn't start rolling really until 2019. And that has to do with the Iowa City's budget process and getting things on the capital improvements plan. Um, we, you know, we did have some small improvements that first year, but things really took off in 2019. And then as you'll see, um, as we're going on, um, COVID and a lot of the related issues with both the pandemic and then supply chain issues have affected things, but, but we're moving on, we're onward and we're doing a lot of things this year. So um, I'm just gonna guide you through some of that. For those of you who aren't familiar, I thought it might be a little bit helpful if I went through some sort of nomenclature um, to explain um, how we classify things and, um, and where you'll find certain facilities or where to anticipate them. Um, and so the first couple of things I have are the, the off-street system, our trails and our side paths. Um, when we do surveys, um, and, the, and one of the most recently done surveys was done just around the time of the Bicycle Master Plan, through our long range transportation plan, um, about 94% of people who responded to that survey said that these are, are the facilities that they feel most comfortable on, trails and side paths. Trails are those systems of wide eight to 10 foot paths typically um, that they don't follow the roadway. Um, they're lo located off road, they normally follow um, uh, floodplains, uh, waterways, um, utility corridors, um, in some of our newer subdivisions, um, they're planned ahead and they're re required to, to build some bike trails. So these go in where we have um, uh, long, often linear swaths or parcels of land um, that are uninterrupted um, that we can get a trail in on. So that's why you typically see the trails, again, along the waterways, but on the margins of the community, because that's where we're able to get those long swaths of land. The older parts of the community are really parceled up in a way that we just can't put the parcels together to get the, the trail system. And that's something that people often comment on when we when we ask for input, like let's have a trail downtown. And and the issue is, is that it's just not, not possible to get, we, we can't get the, the parcels together to do that. Um, so that's why those are the way they are. So the trail system, again, pretty much, very little conflict with on-street traffic. The side path is kind of the next best thing. Um, and so those are actually within the street right of way, meaning that that public property, they're separate from the street, 
Um, some people call them wide sidewalks, um, eight to 10 feet, again, a multi-use trail. Um, we now, um, or and for the past many years, have required side paths as we uh, reconstruct or construct new arterial streets um, and extensions onto those streets, we will have side paths on one side. Um, and along our arterial streets, there are limitations on how frequent you can have, frequently you can have street um, intersections and we have some restrictions on driveway access. And so again, that means that there's less conflict with cars. You're coming across cars less frequently. And again, because of this, as we get closer to the downtown area, closer to um, um, developed areas, older developed areas of town, getting those uninterrupted um, paths is a little bit harder. Then the, the next order um, is bike lanes. And again, in our surveys, about 67% of people indicated that they, they feel comfortable riding on street if there are bike, lane, are bike lanes. And again, um, as we move forward with the plan, um, when we are making improvements to our arterial and some collector streets, uh, where the pavement width allows, and that's, that is the, the thing that sort of binds us, um, we will get bike lanes. Um, we will get the widest um, bike facility we can get. And so where we can, we will get a buffered bike lane, which is, is the bike lane with um, a hash or a double line, as you're seeing in that photo there, of a buffer from traffic. Um, our, uh, our bicycle advisory committee has asked for when we have that space to give, to sort of um, give more of the space to the lane than the buffer, because we know as you get closer to the curb, and you can even see in that picture, you know, you have leaves, you have debris, um, other issues, that part of the street just is a magnet for problems. So, so to give the bicyclist more room to maneuver. Uh, the next thing we have are shared lane markings and sharrows. Um, these are um, one of our more controversial um, um, facilities, if, if you can call them that. Um, people sort of love or hate uh, sharrows. It is a shared lane marking, so it's marking the presence of the bicyclists in that shared lane. Um, if you look at the literature on sharrows, there's many reasons. Um, they serve many purposes. I think the most intuitive, both for bicyclists and for motorists, is that they tell people bicycles are going to be present here. So I think for um, less experienced bicyclists, they make them feel welcome. And for motorists, it's just an awareness that, that a bicyclist is likely to be there. Don't be surprised by one. In along with it, we have sheroes where um, there is not pavement with, we may have sheroes where there is not pavement with for um, a bike lane or um, other um, areas sort of guiding between facilities. Um, in some areas with or without the shiro, you might also see a, may, a bicyclist may use full lane sign. We're just starting to introduce those. You'll see them in a few areas around town as we're improving corridors where we see there's a definite you know, pinch point where it's really in the best interest of the bicyclist to take to that lane and for the motorists to wait, um, we will put those signs up. Of course, bicyclists have the right to do that anywhere, but we really want to call out those areas where, where people really need to be anticipating that and where bicyclists really need to feel that they have the permission to do that. Um, another feature that we've added recently is the bicycle turn boxes. We have these um, 
at the intersections of Jefferson and Dodge and Market and Governor, and also uh, the two-step turn lane um, or turn box down at Madison. And I think that one in particular is especially helpful for people. Um, as you know, if you're riding on Burlington Street, a lot of experienced bicyclists will feel comfortable moving across lanes to get in that left lane to do a left turn lane. Um, less experienced bicyclists or bicyclists that aren't real comfortable in a lot of traffic would prefer to do that in two steps. And this just allows them to do it, to get in front of the stop traffic and prepare for that, um, to make that turn in two steps. Um, what Anyway, what, what these bicycle boxes do is they work, their real purpose is to be in areas where we have a lot of pedestrian, bicycle and um, motor vehicle traffic. And they allow sort of um, a hierarchy of order, putting the, you know, giving the bicyclists their space to prepare for the change of, of the light, um, give the pedestrian their space and the motorists their space so that there are fewer conflicts. The pedestrians and the bicyclists get to move through the area first and, um, and then the motorist follows. And then we have our bikeways. And in some places, these are called bike boulevards. Um, people were really confused by the bike boulevard terminology. So we went with bikeways. You'll see the blue sign there that these are being marked with. And these are mo for the most part being marked on routes that have existed in Iowa City for a long time that have been popular with bicyclists. Um, we have them marked, we've marked them on our metro area trails map for many years. Um, these provide great connections between important destinations, um, connections to trails and bike paths. And so at what we're sort of introducing the, the bikeway aspect, the labeling of it and the wayfinding and some other improvements as we're um, adding features in certain areas like um, trail extensions or bike lanes, then we will be putting in those bikeways. And I'll kind of go over that as we look at the map of projects um, as we're going along. So as I said earlier, um, things really got rolling in 2019, and I hope this is clear for you. It's, it's not as clear as I would like on my screen, but, but you can see some of the things that we've added since the plan was adopted. Um, that side path on Highway 1 between Sunset and Melrose, um, which is a really excellent way to get out to the far west side of Iowa City. Um, and then the Willow Creek connector that takes you, um, I think it's along Willow Creek Court up to Willow Creek Park. Um, the Clinton Street four to three lane conversion that was originally done before pavement improvement. Um, and that, and I know some people had concerns about that, but then in the following, the subsequent year, we came through with the pavement improvement. And now those bike lanes are much nicer. Um, Clinton Street, you know, is probably one of our most, um, multi-use streets. Uh, we have the bus system on there. We have cars, lots and lots of pedestrians, bicyclists. So it's it, that was a delicate balance of serving the needs of, of all the different users. Um, one thing I will mention with that, and we can talk about this later, is you know there ha has been some concern, especially during the pandemic, um, since the pandemic, of motorists uh, parking in the bike lane. And a lot of this has been um, delivery drivers. And this is one of those streets where there is that difficult balance. We want our bricks and mortar businesses to stay in business. We had all kinds of new um, delivery services, Lyft, Grubhub, Chomp, lots of others coming in. And um, 
we're, we're, we're working through that. That was a big change. And I know people found that frustrating, but um, we're working through it. Um, bike lanes on Foster Road, um, from North Dubuque Street to Prairie du Chien Road, the Dodge Street bike lanes as far south from Summit Street to Burlington and Governor Street bike lanes. Those are buffered bike lanes. Mormon Trek, the four to three lane conversion. That was something that was really not um, so much for bicyclists as it was um, a safety improvement to the road. And then we reassigned that space to bicyclists. But bicyclists also have the option of the side path on Mormon Trek. Um, and then a couple of bikeways, the Dewey Street Brown bike lane that takes you from the, the north end of the Governor Street bike lane through um, some other streets where the road narrows up to Prairie du Chien and um, to, the, to the wide um, side path that runs along um, North Dodge. And an improvement on Riverside Drive, if you've been there at Myrtle Street, um, you know you are familiar with the new traffic light that's there and also the pedestrian refuge island that makes it easier to cross. And then that Myrtle Green bikeway allows um, a lower stress option for getting up that hill to Benton Street. And then in 2020, we extended the Dodge Street um, bike lanes as far south as Kirkwood, um, got the Burlington Street bike lanes between Madison and Riverside, and then the extension of McAllister Road. Again, a new section of arterial street, so that has new buffered bike lanes and the side path. Um, in 2021, um, and here you're seeing the beginning of that impact from COVID and supply chains. Um, Muscatine Avenue. Um, we did get we did get um, um, shared lane markings along a portion of that, um, and we can talk about that later. And then bike lanes from Burlington to Evans Street, and then again Shiro's to guide people over to the uh, Market and Jefferson bike lanes. And then a series of bikeways um, that we introduced that were intended to um, mostly to help um, students get to Southeast Junior High from the east side and also to City High, and then to connect those east side neighborhoods with the Iowa River Corridor Trail and the Riverfront Crossings Park. And now um, this year, 2022 and 2023, we're looking at a whole series of improvements. And I um, will go through these on the map. And what you're seeing there, that image, of course, is of the buffered bike lane. I believe that's on Governor Street, I believe, I think, Governor Dodge. So um, in 2022, you'll be seeing the Madison Street bike lanes coming in. Um, those um, start a little bit south of Burlington Street and then continue over to Jefferson Street. Um, you know, another area that's very busy with bus traffic, automobile and um, pedestrian traffic as well as, as bicycling. But we've been waiting for these. Um, these have been a bit delayed because there were some improvements that the university was doing along Madison Street. Now that those improvements are complete, um, the city can go forward with bike lanes. Um, then Market and Jefferson Street will get buffered bike lanes. Those will be extended from Madison Street all the way up to Governor Street. Um, and those will be buffered bike lanes. So that will give a little more space. And I think people will be um, happy to see improvements, especially to the Market Street bike lane, which we've known has been um, less than, than um, comfortable for some time. And we're gonna get that improved. Um, Rochester bike lanes, I've marked that on there. Those 
Rochester Street, if you've been on Rochester, you know that a lot of work is going on there. We'll see those probably in 2023. Um, the bike lanes themselves will be from First Avenue to around where the Ralston Creek Bridge is. From there um, down, um, there will be, um, to the west, I should say, there will be um, shared lane markings and then sort of a, a slip bike lane that guides you down um, to Market Street. Then on the west side at Benton Street, um, standard bike lanes um, from the end of that Myrtle Greenwood bikeway that I spoke about um, and all the way west uh, to Mormon Trek. Um, and that will just be a standard bike lane. That is what the uh, pavement width allows. But the, I wanted to um, note that the future in this area, we do have in the plan future bike lanes on Sunset Street, and that would be south of Benton this part of Sunset Street. And um, in the future in University Heights, this portion of Melrose that does not have bike lanes, um, University Heights has it in their plan in the next several years <clears throat> with improvements to Melrose Street to get bike lanes along that portion of Melrose. So that's outside of Iowa City. So that, that next step is with University Heights and they've made it a priority. Then if we go to the south side of Iowa City, we're really seeing a lot of improvements here because there are many important destinations in the south side. And um, it was a desire of the, um, of the bicycle master plan. We took a, um, um, a look at equity issues and things like that. And so facilities are really coming along in the south side. Um, so this year we will see a four to three lane conversion on Keosk, sorry, Keokuk Street south of the highway. Um, so that will get bike lanes. Um, so from the highway down to Sandusky and then on, so that's in this area. And then on Southgate Avenue connecting over to Gilbert, um, there will also be a bikeway that follows along Sandusky down into the park and Burns Avenue. And then the Weatherby Lakeside um, bikeway will come in. Um, the Highway 6 Trail will get started this year, but probably not finished till next year. That runs from Heinz Road, um, this, this easternmost section. Heinz Road, that's the limit of our right of way within city limits. Um, the rest is in the county and, and that will extend to Fair Meadows. This portion is, become, is coming before this next portion, which is scheduled for 2025-26. This portion is really to help, um, especially students in those far um, southeastern neighborhoods, the uh, mobile home parks and elsewhere, um, get over to uh, Southeast Junior High and City High. So that's why that segment is coming in first. Then what to look forward in that area when this east-west uh, portion of the Sycamore, um, of Sycamore Street is improved, that in several years in the future, we'll also have, like other arterial streets, um, the side path and buffered bike lanes. And then going back to the far east side, again, I have these Rochester bike lanes marked, but also right now, if you've been out in the far east side, um, American Legion Road is being extended, again, with the buffered bike lanes and side path. Um, possibly a future uh, bike lanes on Washington Street. And we'd love um, to hear from people about that. And then when Taft Avenue on the far east side comes in, that will come in with bike lanes and a side path as well. And I just wanted, even though this is something that's in um, Coralville, um, it was a Coralville project. Um, it's a really important one, I think, for both communities. 
and both communities plan these things together. So if you haven't been, um, you should check out on, on the, along the trail on Rocky Shore Drive. You can now hop on a new trail segment that's been open since last fall that runs on the north side of the Crandick Railroad that'll guide you right over into um, the riverfront section in um, the Iowa River Landing in Coralville. You can also, you know, take that the road, the path across the dam into the peninsula neighborhood. But other neat thing you'll be able to do it that you are able to do, I'm sorry, is to go under First Avenue and under Second Street Highway 6 and under the railroad and connect into the Clear Creek Trail. So we're really starting to see this um, metro-wide um, network of trails really build out in a way that is gonna allow people to ride a long way um, without ever having to be on street or only having to be on low volume streets. And that's what this next slide is about. I just wanted to make anyone who isn't aware, aware. So from that slide I showed you last time, the last slide, of this area. This will connect you into the Clear Creek Trail and coming in 2025, you'll be able to pop under the interstates, connect into Tiffin, that's in just a couple of years. And then you'll be able to ride from Tiffin all the way out to Kent Park. So this really opens up a lot of opportunity for tourism and then just great opportunities for people from Iowa City to ride well out into the county and to connect people from, from Tiffin and other areas into um, Iowa City and Coralville. And that's um, sort of a map of the whole Iowa City area, sort of showing you how um, those different features are coming together. So, um, I think I'll pause right now so that if people have questions um, about um, any of these features, we can answer questions about them. Or if you've ridden on any of these facilities, if you have thoughts or anything you wanted to share, and I can get out of screen sharing, I think. Stop sharing. Do we have anything in the chat? We do not. <clears throat> well, free, um, feel free to type anything in there. Um, we, of course, want your feedback on any of these facilities. Um, you know, things can be taken further over time, but um, some of these facilities are more complicated than others. Like I said, balancing the needs of all the different users. But we certainly want to hear from people. And I think I was right here. Hang on. Okay. Sarah, we do have one comment from Liz. Sure. She says, really love the new trail connector along the Iowa River to the IRL. So much better than riding on the strip. It was great for the co-op to co-op ride last week. Yeah, it really was. A lot of um, families and um, folks with young kids um, did that ride. So that was really nice. Um, and it's it's a really lovely ride. I I took it myself the other day. I had to go over to Iowa, uh, the University of Iowa Sports Medicine Clinic, and I went that way, and it was beautiful and very easy, and lots of other people were riding it. Um, another part of the Bicycle Master Plan that maybe gets less public attention is the updates that we've made to some of the bicycle regulations. So I'll just familiarize you with these. And these are things that other um, communities in the metro area are looking at as well. So. Um, we allow riding two abreast so people can ride side by side, two abreast in the bike lane. That's fine. 
lane position regulations, those were updated some time ago. You do not have to ride as far to the right as humanly possible. Um, you just need to be in the right lane or in the lane where you need to be. So if you're turning left, you're in the left lane. And we that's something we really need to encourage people to do because um, you don't wanna turn left out of the right side of the lane. Um, we updated some of the requirements for real, rear lights and reflectors um, to make those consistent. Um, we updated language so that um, e-bikes and other devices are allowed in the bike lanes and on trails. And we are seeing more um, things like the stand-up scooters and the, um, the electronic, um, I'm sure I'm using the wrong word, uh, skateboards in the bike lanes, and they, they do have a right to be there. Uh, we also now have a dooring rec uh, regulation for um, people have to be more alert when opening um, doors um, because they can strike bicyclists. Um, we've also recently updated our bicycle parking standards in Iowa City um, to reflect the APBP guidelines. That's the, I'm going to get this wrong, Association of Pedestrian and Bicycle Professionals, I believe. Um, and those are sort of the gold standard um, of, of bicycle parking. So Iowa City has just updated those regulations. I know some of the other communities in the metro are also updating theirs. So for new um, construction and for some zoning changes and changes of use, they will be required to bring their bicycle parking up to standard. We still do not have a mechanism for people with really old bike parking um, to change those. Um, in the future, we can look at other ways to do that. Um, one of the really nice things is one of our local groups, um, uh, Bike Iowa City, is um, has a special bicycle friendly program, and they are really encouraging businesses to update um, their bicycle parking um, voluntarily. And so we hope folks do that. Um, another thing, um, increasing the penalties for parking in the bike lane. And again, that's um, sort of comes out of this struggle for space that we've seen in some areas and, and people using the bike lane um, illegally to park cars. Um, another area, education and encouragement. Um, we're trying to do more things that can be shared easily on social media. Um, one of the things is our bike shorts video series um, that we do to encourage people to uh, bike wisely and safely to obey the law give tips on safe bicycling, things like that. We also now have rules of the road brochures in six different languages. Um, the bicycle friendly driver program, this is something that started with Iowa City Transit. Um, we've gone, we've provided this to Johnson County seats. Uh, Coralville Transit is about to go through this and we hope in the future it can be extended to other businesses and organizations that have people that are driving as part of their work. And it makes people aware of um, what bicycle behaviors are, what things make bicyclists uncomfortable, how best to pass bicyclists, things like that. Um, and so that's a helpful thing. Um, of course, our metro area trails maps, we just have new ones that came out. Um, we do those every year. Um, um, expanding bicycle programs, Iowa City's parks and recreation and the recreation departments of our other uh, neighboring communities have more bicycle programs available. Um, and also um, our local bicycle groups, the Iowa City Bicycle Library, um, Bicyclists of Iowa City, and some of our local shops um, have all kinds of activities um, 
and that's really for every level of bicyclist. Um, installation of bike repair stations, we're seeing more and more of those um, in our city parks. And then for anyone who's not already aware of the real hub of bicycle information that we're grateful for is um, bikeiowacity.com. Um, and they have a social media presence as well. Um, anything, um, it's really the go-to place for bicycle information. You can also find bicycle information on the MPO's website. If you go to the very bottom of the page on the left side, there's a bicycle resources tab. And we have a lot of information there. But Bike Iowa City, um, it's updated all the time, year-round events, um, lots of links to our information and information from other communities and other groups about rides and routes to take. So really want to uh, commend them for that. Then evaluation, this is something that's just starting to take place. And um, we get questions from people all the time, like you put a new bike lane in, um, how many new riders do you have? And it's really hard, with just a single bike lane isn't maybe going to attract a measurable number of new riders, but as we are building out this network and there's more intersection between bike lanes and trails and things like that, we'll see the numbers change. And so there's a number of different ways that we are um, counting that information. So we now include, um, as part of our work, we evaluate um, traffic at, at all kinds of intersections throughout Iowa City and the Metro. And we, we include bicycle counts in that. So those are being picked up that way at all those major intersections. Um, we're now looking at Strava Metro and just kind of learning how to use that to supplement our counts. And that's for people who don't know, that is an app that a lot of bicyclists, not all, but many recreational and fitness riders use the app. And so that's a good supplement for us to be aware of where people are riding and will allow us to see what measurable difference, uh, um, differences in, in ridership there are in some of those new facilities. We also have our trail counter program. And some of you might know that we're counting really intensively um, this year along with the county along um, the Clear Creek Trail and the Iowa River Corridor Trail. And then of course, um, collision studies. We, those areas where there are problems for bicyclists, we um, evaluate those. And so um, questions and concerns, if we don't get to something during this meeting, and I hope people do have some questions and things they wanna share during this meeting, you can always email me, that's my email there. Um, and I also want to encourage people, if you encounter um, problems, um, either along uh, a bike lane on the street or a side path or a trail. So for example, a downed limb, somebody parking in the bike lane, um, something else um, that concerns you. The IC Gov Express is really good here in Iowa City. And what that'll do is get your um, concern forwarded to the people who can answer it right away. Um, if you email me, you might be waiting longer because I may or may not be in the office or may, or may not be checking email, but I see GovExpress tends to get forwarded along immediately um, with follow-up and everything. So, um, so please use that. And I, as I've noted on there for bike lanes, once you get on there and you're registering a report, bike lanes are on the streets. So look under streets, um, trails are under the parks um, in the scroll down menu. And, but even if you go under miscellaneous, it'll get to the right person. And then also metro-wide. So if you're outside of Iowa City, you can go onto the MPO homepage and under our resources, you can get to a, a bicycle, um, a citizen bicycle concern report. 
um, and you can you can let us know and then we will um, contact that other community and let them know that there's an issue along one of their trails or um, side paths. So let me get out of sharing. Sarah, we do have, we have a comment and a couple questions. Great. So the comment is, as both a cyclist and driver, the Mormon Trek road diet is great. The reduction to two lanes has improved traffic flows despite people's fears. That's great. That's what it was meant to do. <laughs> and then going to the first question, are there any regulations or guidelines for motorized vehicles, e-bikes, scooters, or even just very fast non-motorized bikes to modify their speed when encountering pedestrians on trails? The only regulation that there is in the code, um, bicyclists and other users are required to yield to pedestrians. And, they, and I forget the exact language, but it's when operating on those multi-use facilities to operate at a prudent speed. Um, it's hard to define what that is. And because most people, you know, it's a difficult thing to measure. And so I'm sure it is something, it is one of those things that as more and more e-bikes take to the trails and the streets, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we will have to make adjustments, but that's the language that we have in place at this time. And this may be an opportunity for us to um, provide some education in our bike shorts videos or something yeah. similar. Yeah, and Emily and I were also talking about potentially doing a Zoom sometime this summer on e-bikes because we were getting to know um, people who are adopting e-bikes for a lot of different reasons. And we just, you know, they are a more expensive option. Um, and so, you know, maybe doing a Zoom so that we could, you know, have an opportunity for people to ask, you know, questions and answers about um, what kind of e-bikes and how they work and how they work for different, you know, some people are carting kids around, some people are carting large, heavy cargo around, and some people are just out taking to the trails. And so I think a lot of people are interested in that, especially, you know, with gas prices going up. So we're talking about doing that sometime in the future this summer. And so certainly if one of you have an e-bike or, or you have something you'd like us to cover, um, please let us know because we do want these sessions to be useful. Okay. So the next question is, has any thought been given to Sorry, my chat moved. Has any thought been given to improving pedestrian and cyclist accommodations during construction and detours? For example, the current construction of the traffic circle at Scotton First forces everyone into the busy motorist lanes. Yeah. And maybe I'll ask if one of our um, engineers could speak to this, Jason or Scott. Yeah, I can try and field this one. So. Typically, yes, we do try and accommodate uh, bicyclists and pedestrians throughout construction. Obviously, for reconstruction projects, it's a bit challenging because you're you're trying to temporarily maintain travel areas as well as uh, reconstructing either streets or, in this case, an intersection. Um, you know, most times we'll require at least one sidewalk and, and limited crossings be maintained at all times. This one was a little bit uh, more challenging just because you're you kind of have an intersection that doesn't have a lot of 
kind of activity around it. So I think this one or that example is one that's a, a little bit even more challenging than usual, but uh, it's definitely something we consider, um, you know, and we, we try and maintain it as much as possible, but that doesn't always mean we're, we're able to do as much as we'd like. So I think a good example of where it has been accommodated is the replacement of the Second Avenue Bridge sort of down near the High V on First Avenue, where there is, there is a route marked out um, to go around that. And just so that people know when when those something like that, it, that route. The other thing is, I think I'm correct, Jason, that it for the pedestrian route, it needs to be handicapped accessible. So we can't route people in a place where there isn't an alternative sidewalk um, and curb cuts and thing, things like that. Am I correct? Correct. Okay. Were there other questions, Emily? No other questions. Um, just another comment elaborating off of um, what we had talked about um, in terms of um, educating walkers as well as a cyclist. It's a problem when people walk on one side of the trail and then their dog is on the other and the leash, leash stretches across the trail. Um, also problems with off-leash dogs. Yeah. So yeah, maybe we could think about a, a short educational video or something. Yeah. That is one of the things with a multi-use facility. It is, again, one of the challenges. Were there other, any other questions? No other questions, no. Um, Jason, I wonder, um, I hate to spring one on you. Um, the intersection of Highway 6 and Gilbert Street, you know, there have been questions over the years because the underpass on the Iowa River Corridor Trail frequently gets flooded out, and then people want to make a simple cross on the west side of Gilbert Street. Is, is there a plan to improve that crossing there in the next couple of years? So that's one that we've noted and, and will be added next time we do work at that intersection. We don't really have anything specifically planned to that. Uh, the, the challenge that's there is once you start touching pedestrian crossings at an intersection, it has a tendency to grow in scope to make sure you're, you know, once you touch one ramp, then you need to touch the crossing and then it's the other ramp and it just kind of grows like that. So it's definitely something we're aware of. We're looking for opportunities to work that into a project. Um, we don't have anything specifically planned at this point, but it's definitely something that we'll include the next time we have an opportunity, opportunity at that intersection. And I think one other interesting thing while we're waiting to see if anybody else has questions, I think one of um, interesting thing I was talking about with the engineers this morning is, you know, when you say, um, you know, we said some of these things have been delayed, um, you know, due to supply chain issues and things like that. Um, the engineers were sharing with me this morning, they're having trouble getting paint. And um, so maybe Jason or Scott, if you could kind of talk about some of those issues that you're facing, because it seems like, you know, when we say we're waiting for a bike lane, it's like, well, what's the supply chain issue? It's just paint, you know, but what's, go what's, what's kind of going on with engineering and, and street improvements in general? I know you've talked about bids and things like that. I think it would be helpful for people to 
know a little bit more about that? Yeah, probably the, the two biggest categories of issues we're having right now are being able to get materials and get lead times or the extended lead times for materials and then bid prices. And, you know, we've seen products coming in. Uh, it's not uncommon for some products to come in 25% or more over kind of our what our estimate was, uh, especially here in the last few months, I think as people were trying to to figure out just how far inflation was going and you know the uncertainty of, of supply supply chain issues um, as we work that into our, our estimates. So that's been a challenge. The challenge that's there is you know when we do bid these prices or bid these products, we have costs in mind. Um, as they come in a lot higher, we have to kind of regroup and figure out if there's ways that we can help bring those costs more in line with what we have for for funding. And so that you know, when we rebid a project, especially a formal project, typically that's a, a several month delay in getting it back out on the street for bids and, and being able to move forward with it. So that has real impacts on our schedule. Uh, supply chain issues, we're certainly not alone there, but it, it's impacted our products as well. I know we were talking about it, uh, I think yesterday that our, our streets division is still not gotten their paint for this year that they had ordered last year. So um, I know we've seen one sheet I had seen the other day that there was some material that was in stock, but they said if it was out of stock when they tried to fill your order that the lead time was 52 weeks. So uh, oh, wow. we're talking months or even years until they'll guarantee that that will be delivered. And so, you know, I think from a contractor standpoint, there's that challenge of how do I guarantee I'm going to build this project if I can't guarantee I'm going to get the materials to do it. And so it's just, it's all kind of interconnected and interrelated and we're all trying to work through that kind of together. And, and so we are trying to keep things moving forward, but sometimes there's only so much we can do on, on our end. And then Jason, when a bit, when a project comes in over above bid like is there a point is there a threshold at which where it's over where you have to rebid it where like you can't you can't accept the bid uh, for us that threshold is typically if we only receive one bid and it's 25 percent over our estimate then we need to rebid that by our our purchasing policy um, beyond that it, it really becomes sort of a discussion you know if we get a number of bids and they're all really high it kind of becomes that discussion of are there are there ways that we can make some changes to the project you know whether it's phasing or lengthening the the timeline or whatever it might be to help bring those costs down or is it just something where if, if we want to do the project this is what it costs now and you know are we able to come up with the funding to do it and so it it depends a little bit on the situation but those are some of the discussions we have to have when they they come in high and then are you seeing like a big change in the cost of pavement or asphalt? Like are those, those we've, material costs changing a lot? We've seen some increase there. I, I don't know that those are quite as much as other materials. The other thing that plays into is just the cost of fuel. And so, you know, as people are having to truck either material into the site or if it's just, you know, trucking stuff various locations that adds up in a hurry and so as fuel prices have gone up quite a bit we've seen that passed along on our products as well 
Sarah, we had another question. Um, are there any plans to add bikes may use full lane signs anywhere? And I know that we do have a couple locations, right? Yeah, we do. We do have bikes. Um, I'll just off the top of my head, uh, try to recall a few. Um, the transition around where Jefferson becomes Glendale, we have bikes may use full lanes there. I believe we have them on the Myrtle Street Hill. Um, I know we have them. Trying to remember what, what we're doing, Liz, is as projects come in and whether it's um, a bikeway or um, or a bike lane or something out where there's a pro then we then we look in that area and and see um, if there's a place that's a you know that 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 calls for that kind of attention. I wish I could I, I know we've done more than that. Um, I think oh around the Summit Street Bridge, I think we have some. Um, certainly, if there are places where you as a bicyclist are having issues and you want to shoot those to me, we can we can certainly look at it just like we do with, you know, any other comment from the public um, will will consider it. Um, we don't want to have them too many places because we don't, you know, we really want to cause call attention to those places where it's critical. But um, if you're noticing someplace that's that's a particular issue, um, feel free to send us a comment. Sarah, don't we plan to um, install some on Rarit? Do we? <laughs> we have bike lanes on Rarit. Okay. It's not a big deal. We're going to be updating our bike lane signage on Rarit, but not the bike. Oh, yes, yes, you're right. Yep. Yeah, I'm in the process of that. I also just wanted to acknowledge, I really like the bikeway signs too. I know it's not like an infrastructure thing, but I feel like it does really make a more welcoming environment for cyclists and it's kind of a nice guiding post. So I, I appreciate those as well. Yeah, on these first ones, particularly because um, the target was um, kids, um, we kind of probably sign those a little more heavily than we would sign some areas. But yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a nice thing too. And because they look a little different from other um, signs that are along the roadway, um, I think they're helpful. That's another um, item that I can say, you know, during, we had placed the order for those signs during COVID, during kind of the height of COVID. And because, um, you know, people weren't able to go to work and work in groups. We had to wait a long time for those signs. So it is, it is interesting how, you know, this is affecting all of our work in different ways. And I just want to uh, thank Liz again, um, that again, Bike Iowa City, and we even put them on the back of the metro area trails map. Um, is just for anyone who doesn't know is just, um, we, we, Liz, I always tell people you're knocking it out of the park. I mean, it just is so useful in really pushing um, the idea of, you know, this Johnson County is really offers a lot of really unique um, and uh, attractive bicycle opportunities. And um, if you're not following them on social media, if you haven't looked at their website, I really strongly encourage that you do that because, um, yeah, it's it's you're doing great work. <laughs> Anything else? Well, this, oh. will this recording be posted, Sarah? Yeah, we will. We will get it posted. Okay. Um, 
on the MPO page. And I would think that Iowa City would post it on their page. I also, I don't have my, sadly, I do not have my calendar in front of me. I don't, this group might be interested. Do you remember where, when our um, Easy on the Gas Zoom session is? I think it's June 15th. We're gonna be doing a Zoom um, session, a little different than bikes, but um, there's some real opportunities for people. Um, for those of you that don't know, every day in Johnson County, there are about, we exchange about 10,000 people either way coming into the county um, or coming into Johnson County from other areas um, for work and, and an equal number of people leaving Johnson County. So we have a large number of people for whom bicycling and Iowa City Transit are not really an option that they can use. But there are some really interesting options that have become available and we're gonna be um, talking about that on this Easy on the Gas webinar, which I believe is on June. Yes, it's June yes. 15th. It'll be at a noon. noon. It'll be another yep. noon session. And Emily and I are really excited about it. So um, if you know anybody that is struggling um, to get to work, um, you know, a distance that's impractical to reach by bike and that isn't served by transit, um, it might be a session that's really useful to them. Anything else? I'm not seeing any other questions. Okay. Well, by all means, um, if things come up later, if you have questions, um, concerns, for sure, um, shoot me an email. Um, I might not get to it that day, but I will definitely get back to you. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.